Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following is a broadcast from the Global Authority in Mixed Martial Arts. The Shoe Dog Radio Network. Here's your host, TJ DeSantis. Hey everybody, it's Beatdown on the Sherdog Radio Network. I'm TJ DeSantis on this fine Monday edition of your favorite mixed martial arts related broadcast. You'll hear it on a Tuesday, and that means one thing. I'm back with my main man, Mr. Mike Fridley, who uh, hasn't been on the air with me in, I think the cool kids would say, a minute. Mr. Fridley, what's up, man? How are you? I'm really good. It's been two weeks, and I've missed you. I've missed the flow and uh, putting together the notes for the show and talking and everything. So I've missed it, and I'm glad to be back, man. And uh, just to explain my absence, I literally had a house full of refugees. Uh, my wife, my wife's mom lives in Tampa, and she was evacuated due to Hurricane Irma. And her husband came with her. Then we had other family from Florida in. So literally had a house full of people for damn near two weeks they uh they finally went back home to their place once uh, power was restored late last week so here we are talking mma and combat sports on the sure dog radio network and i am so happy to be back so you were saying that casa de fridley was the refugee camp it was it was i would have walked around yeah i would have walked around going ooh la 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 that the dun 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 that the refugees bring ooh la 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 yeah ah man I'm going to be singing that for the rest of the day. Thank you. I appreciate it. Lauren Hill. Yeah. I was, uh, Proz. I was wandering. Oh man, Proz. Now I want to sing. Class. I want to sing ghetto superstar like hard. <laughs> uh, that was actually playing oddly enough at, uh, Tachi when I was rolling in for Invicta FC. Um, we park out back cause that's where the cool kids park. You park in the back and then mm-hmm. you roll by the uh, pool with your luggage and, uh, right into the uh, hotel lobby. And, uh, yeah, Ghetto Superstar was just like playing for this one old white guy who was blaring it on his own boombox, sitting in the hot tub when it's already like 300 degrees outside. I'm mm-hmm. like, what is what is going on with this man? He's trying to cook himself. Now, was that a solo joint from Proz? It was. I think that, yeah. yeah, I didn't think that was on that great album they had. No, uh, the score. 
I love that album, especially the song with uh, Sadat X. I think it's called Cowboys. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Love yeah. that song. That Praz uh, song was, uh, yeah, it was like his lead single, I guess you would say, off of that uh, solo album after the uh, the Fuji's record, and it featured Maya. And there's my uh, hip hop knowledge that people don't think I possess, but every once in a while uh, I prove to be uh, legit. The Fuji's are legit. Yes. I've always felt that way. Yes. Uh, before we get into business here, um, how do you handle unsolicited advice? Because I got some unsolicited advice today uh, right outside the studio in the little uh, courtyard area, and I had to do everything in my power not to just destroy this woman who was trying to look out for my health unnecessarily. Yeah, it doesn't bother me to to get it, and it doesn't bother me to tell somebody to mind their own See, I'm I'm equal, equally fluid with both of those. I really wanted to tell her to mind her own business, and I kind of did, but uh, I uh, I ordered some stuff here at the studio through Amazon Prime. I'm always needing something, a connector for this, um, extra light source for that, a power strip, whatever. And uh, today, I, I needed some stuff, and when you do Prime now, they'll bring it to you within like two hours uh, for no fee. Like, there's literally no delivery fee. Uh, except they ask for like a small tip, but you can't get the order unless you purchase. I think it's like twenty five dollars worth of stuff. Uh, and I was like at twenty three fifty, and I'm like, okay, what am I gonna get for you know a, a buck fifty? So I bought three instant ramen lunches. You know what I'm talking about? Those little cups that have the, the noodles and like the chicken seasoning and peas and carrots. Absolutely. So I got that. I was like, all right, perfect. Now I don't have to go anywhere for lunch. So I'm, I'm rolling upstairs to go get the hot water from the coffee machine into my instant lunch. And this uh, woman sort of comes at me and goes, hey, I can't let you eat that. You can't eat that. I'm like, uh, why? It's like, it's terrible for you. It's, that's, that's not instant lunch. That's instant heart attack. And I'm like, oh, Lord. And uh, <laughs> she starts telling me about how much sodium it has. And how her husband eats those things all the time, and it's going to end up killing him. And then uh, I was like, "All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like tell you I've lost a bunch of weight, and this isn't how I normally eat, which may or may not be a lie. Like I'm, I'm on the defensive here. And then I realized she's outside to smoke a cigarette. You're worried yeah. and telling me that my sodium intake might be too high, but you need to fulfill your nicotine and tar uh, quota for the day." Come on, lady. My, my my lunch doesn't have a Surgeon General's warning on it. Maybe it should. But anyways, the woman can't control her husband, so she's trying to control a complete stranger. Ooh, that's, that's deep. That's sad. That's so sad. It's real deep. Uh, Anybody I, that tries to control the other person in their relationship is a small person. Very small. And they need to develop. Yeah. That's truth. That's truth. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, thanks for putting that in perspective. I kind of feel good now. There you go. All right, let's get your perspective on a, a variety of things. Uh, if you missed mine, uh, you can check out B10 After the Bell. It's available now. Uh, all access panel at SureDog.com, iTunes Music Store, and our podcast. Myself, Anthony Walker, and Gary Randall uh, recapped. Gary Randall. I didn't. I just made his name a past tense verb. Uh, Gary Randall uh, recapped an evening of uh, exciting combat sports with the Triple G and Canelo fight as well as the UFC uh, Pittsburgh card. You can get uh, all that you're looking for there. And a variety of other weird topics we sort of went down the road on. Um, John Jones, etc. Uh, I missed the the discourse between other human beings on this radio show uh, with you being 
you know, host for the the refugees. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it was it was good, and uh, hopefully you enjoy it on YouTube as well at the uh, SureDog.com official YouTube page. Um, let's start with boxing because I know that this was a really big boxing match. Um, what did you think of Canelo and Triple G? Oh man, where, where do you start? With me, it has to be with Judge Adelaide Bird. So Dave Moretti scored this thing, 115-113 Golovkin. Don Trella had it a 114-114 draw. Both of those cards are extremely rational. Rational? Rational. 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 So I agree with – I don't say I agree with those. I had it a little more one-sided for Golovkin. I probably had it – Oh, in my opinion, I think Golovkin won at least eight of those rounds, possibly nine. Um, but I can see the closeness of those. Adelaide Bird offering up a 118-110 for Canelo yeah. is just adorable. I, I don't even know what to say about that. Like, Did you happen to see Teddy Atlas's rant on ESPN where he just – explodes about corruption and and how dirty the sport is and how people are being handed money behind the scenes and no but that narrative is something that i've always heard when people start talking shit about boxing and you know now that i i feel like i'm a seasoned mixed martial arts and combat sports fan like the level of corruption like if you're going to be in the pocket and in the ear of a judge like we're talking the risk is just too great. Like if, if anything ever came out about someone in someone's camp trying to, uh, you know, get in the ear of a judge and, and, and get a scorecard, uh, you know, dubiously, we're talking bans, fines, I mean, lifetime ban. Like I just, I can't even imagine like, uh, federal investigations, I would assume, uh, I don't believe it to be the case. And, when it comes to mixed martial arts, I remember uh, we had a gentleman that used to call in all the time named Hamza. Hamza called in one time and was like, man, someone needs to check what kind of car Cecil Peoples is driving today. Because if Cecil Peoples is driving anything better than a blankety blank, that means he definitely was in the pocket of Leonard Garcia last night. I was like, what are you talking about, man? Like, I think a lot of people, I don't know where Teddy Atlas is. I know that he and Stephen A. Smith were arguing about something stupid the other day. And it was making the rounds of uh, viral videos because it, it looked like it was uh, a Saturday Night Live bit. It was so hyperbolic and ridiculous. But, uh, I mean, is Teddy Atlas the type of person that doesn't ever uh, give a hot take? Or is he sort of one of these hot take guys these days? Um that's a good question. I really respect Teddy and I have for a long time. Um, this is a guy that worked with, uh, Mike Tyson's original trainer, uh, custom auto. Uh, he's been in the game forever. I have a lot of respect for him, but when there's a bad decision, he flies off the handle. So in my opinion, the hot takes are literally limited to bad decisions and it can be, it doesn't even have to be highway robbery. And Let's be honest here, TJ. I don't know how you saw this fight, but this fight ending in a draw to me is not highway robbery. This was an extremely, extremely close fight and a, and a damn good fight, too. Um, my problem was with Bird's score. Right. And that one specifically, you know, for this fight to end in a draw to me is not a robbery or a crime. Right. Which I guess it's is her- the the sort of like moral victory out of all of this. Like, yes, a judge dropped the ball, but the overall result wasn't terrible. Yeah, and I heard people 
that you know nobody saw Canelo win. You know nobody had Canelo winning his fight. I was on Twitter, you know, following both the uh, the UFC. Uh, I had bo- obviously both fights on UFC and the boxing match plus Twitter. I saw a lot of people scoring this fight for Canelo. You um, know, unfortunately, I, nobody had it that wide. Yeah, that I, I mean, I saw a variety of scorecards, and and nothing was as clear cut as Adelaide Bird's scorecard that I saw online, which tells me something. Um, if if any judge in combat sports is the only person you see on social media or anywhere, for that matter, that has that number on their scorecard, something mm-hmm. is is amiss here. Now, more often than not, 99% of the time, I would say, because I don't think that there's corruption. I really don't. Maybe there's some bias, per se, but I don't think that's corruption. Um, I think that we just see incompetence and... You know, for whatever reason, the people that ultimately make the decisions in in combat sports, maybe it's just magnified and maybe it's just overblown because people argue uh, and 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 try to put the spotlight on on bad judging um, every single time. It just seems like these judges, when they screw up, they screw up in epic, glorious fashion. Um, I asked Gary Randall this, and I think you're much better to uh, answer this question because you are well versed in in mixed martial arts, uh, where Gary's maybe a little bit shorter in experience on that. Um, but with that said, to me, one of the reasons I'll never really understand judging in boxing is because you can see a wide interpretation of scorecards where, yes, there are oh, rounds so true, that, that are close, but it, it seems like whatever any judge really sort of deems as as a good round in boxing, um, it, it's, it's more interpretive than what a really good round is in mixed martial arts. I, I think the judging criteria in MMA, because it's it's so um, you know it, it, it's multi uh, leveled, multi tiered when it comes to what the criteria is in, in boxing. Um, they call it the sweet science. I, I think what you value as scientific may not be what you know another judge values as the most scientific. And uh, I, I think the style of judging that spectrum is much wider than you know, it's, it's cousin in combat sports and mixed martial arts. I totally agree. And it's a great point. And I have to draw one comparison from the MMA world because literally is the only fighter that I see that has great discrepancies in his score. And that's Alexander Gustafson. Mm. Um, the way he fights, how, I mean, first of all, he's, he's incredible. He's right. a perennial contender. Um, arguably should have won that first Jones fight. Um, uh, very close to, to to winning a couple other big fights uh, in the mix as well. He may be the only fighter out there on that extremely top level that runs away from his opponent, mm-hmm. but yet but yet delves out tons of punishment. Right. So like he he picks his shots so well, but he runs. I mean, there are parts in, in each and every Gustafson fight where he will literally turn his back to you and run away. And some people, when they're judging a fight, if they see somebody running away, they literally discard the other four minutes and 58 seconds of what they just saw because they just saw one man run from another. And for me, that's what I see in boxing. Um, let's go back to the Pacquiao horn fight, which was the last fight that I remember Teddy Atlas going crazy about. Horn. I had that fight I had that, bit, that that big time for Horn. Like that that fight wasn't even competitive for me. Right. Horn completely outclassed Pacquiao. Dude, the outrage for that fight right. was was monumental. And I literally had to watch that again the same night just to be like, okay, did did I see something wrong? Well, and I literally I scored it the exact same way. Ooh. It's so it's so subjective. L- let me ask this boxing. though. Let me ask this though. 
I think that if you look in mixed martial arts, more often than not, when there are close decisions or split decisions, the favorite tends to end up coming out on top. Um, I wonder if, you know, that there's that bias that I was talking about. Sometimes I think it exists and it's not even known necessarily by the judge themselves. It's like that old saying, you got to beat the champion. You got to you got to take it from the champion. You got to beat the champion. You can't, you know, just eke out a decision, which is bullshit. If you win more rounds than the champion, you are the new champion. Um, you got to take the title from the champion. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, in boxing, records are so much more important uh, from the win-loss ratio than in mixed martial arts. I'm wondering if in boxing, judges tend to side with, you know, a more well-known fighter, a fighter with a, a bigger legacy, a longer legacy, like a Pacquiao, uh, than, you know, compared to a Horn, uh, who, you know, that would be the biggest win of his career, but Pacquiao's on the, the backside of his career, etc., um, that these judges in close rounds just don't end up leaning towards someone that is more well-known and more well-established because, I mean, a loss, not that a loss in Pacquiao's career to, to, to Horn at this point would be uh, devastating, but it's almost that champion mentality. You've got to take it from the champion and, and Pacquiao, uh, the much more well-known mainstream athlete of the two boxers. Yeah, so you're saying that fans, there's almost an expectation that if you if you take a round from Pacquiao, it's got to be damn near 10-8-ish. I mean, not necessarily, but I think that in, in close rounds, Pacquiao is always going to go over the top because he's Manny Pacquiao. And 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 again, I'm not I'm not saying that this is fact. I'm just trying to explain why someone would have such a wide margin. You know, Judge A has it, you know, eight rounds for somebody over the next judge who only has a three round difference is if, if those rounds are so close that just maybe that that brand recognition, that brand awareness of the more established fighter um doesn't end up going a bit further than uh, you know, the actual punches do. Yeah. That's an extremely broad topic, and I think you're onto something, just trying to figure out why does this happen. In this specific case, I think we are dealing with an individual with a history here. Mm. This is Adelaide Bird. MMA fans know this name, TJ. Oh, uh, I, I, you, I, you, yeah, you, of course. You knew this name when it was first announced at the bottom. You knew this name, and you might have even when you heard it. Oh, yeah. Because you remember, you remember, uh, damn, what was that fight? Was it Lerda Garcia? And uh, it wasn't Zombie, it was... Uh, Nam Fan. Nam Fan. Yeah. Exactly. Dude, she scored that for Nam Fan at the... the was that the Ultimate Fighter finale? I'm sorry, I don't remember remember which one. But uh, they I, fought I have, twice, but she was... She, she was definitely the dissenting judge, or not the dissenting judge, but the judge that ultimately gave... Uh, I believe it was Leonard Garcia that got the fight that he didn't deserve, and um, everyone's going like, "What? What is happening right now? Why? Why? Why is this a thing?" And and yeah, she was terrible. Yeah, and she's done that many, many times. Um, uh, some of her boxing history: she was involved in the the Pacquiao Vargas uh, was undercard fight with uh, Nonito Donaire on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, something weird happened. Something else to when you were talking earlier about why you have doubts about corruption because of how entrenched these people are in their industries. Um, I don't know if it's something that was brought up on uh, Beatdown After the Bell, but did you know her husband was the referee for uh, yeah. Floyd and Connor? Yeah, we talked about okay. that on, on Beatdown After the Bell of uh, of Mayweather and McGregor, and, and Jordan Breen brought it up, and I didn't know that at first, but obviously it makes sense. But, but here's the thing, too, is, is I'm still... 
I, I still very much wonder how these people get into the positions that they're in. I'm not saying that Adelaide Bird doesn't belong in in judging or being a commissioner. I'm just curious what she did to get there because sometimes, more often than not, when you look into long-standing commission members, it's all bureaucracy that gets people appointed and, and you know allows them to stay and. Uh, you know, Andy Foster was was very vocal when he took over California, saying, "You know, I'm going to demand more of my judges than uh, executive directors have uh, demanded in the past." You know, he didn't say you need a purple belt to be a mixed martial arts judge, but did say that you know he he wanted clear cut rules uh, defined for you know what qualifications are going to outweigh others when it comes to you know lending your expert uh, analysis in in picking winners of mixed martial arts contests because. At the end of the day, a lot of this stuff is just fodder for the people that, that cover the sport and, and, and talk. But when it comes down to the, the athletes, this affects their paydays. And I don't know if it affects it so much in boxing, uh, where in mixed martial arts, it's still, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people, a lot of men and women that are fighting, it's a 50% split between, you know, show and, and win money. And I'm telling you, if you're going to, you know, decide whether or not I get half of my payday or not, you would better be more than than just an expert. You would better be, uh, you know, the top one percent of what you do. And uh, I don't think it's it's often that we ever audit the uh, expertise and experience level of these people that are deciding who uh, not only wins fights on judges' scorecards, but uh, who's in the cage in some of these smaller markets in charge of athlete safety. I agree with everything you said, except for your very first introductory point about saying that Bird belongs. Clearly, Bird does not belong. Well, it I'm not, has nothing I'm not, to do with her yeah, gender. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, it I'm, has nothing to do with any of that. She is incompetent. She has a history of incompetence. Right. And for Bob Bennett, the Nevada Commission Executive Director, to come out on Saturday night and side with her. He, he did say, hey, she had a bad night. We'll look at it. For me, more transparency is needed. Bird should have been available to the media that night and in scrum fashion, she should have had to face everybody, explain herself, and there should be an immediate review of her actions, and it should be public. I agree. This is something that should be done behind closed doors. Chael Sonnen, Vitor Belfort, John Jones, everybody has to go before mission. It's streamed live on UFC Fight Pass. There's transparency. There's accountability. I want to see the same thing for judges, referees, any kind of official. Let's treat everybody the same. Yeah, and and my thing about it is I know that some people say, well, it's not fair to put them on blast. They're in a tough position. They had a bad night. You don't have a bad day at work and then are called to the carpet in front of the media. Uh, Here's my thing uh, about that. Um, You're just proving your math. That's all you need to do. This is a mathematical equation, which is why I don't like when everyone says, oh, let's just go pride judging. Well, that's too subjective. It's way too subjective. And uh, we could go down the rabbit hole because I was thinking a lot about if we went away from the 10-point must system and had the pride style of judging, uh, how much that would actually change um, fights. I I think you wouldn't see anybody really start to fight until the final three minutes of a fight because whoever wins that final three minutes more often than not ends up winning uh, those fights and in, 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 in pride style of, of judging. But when it comes to Adelaide Bird, like you suggest, meeting with the media in typical scrum fashion, I'm all for it because all you need to do is stand in front of the media with your scorecard 
and to the best of your knowledge at that moment, go round by round and explain why you did what you did. It's going to be a lot harder when it's 12 rounds of boxing compared to three rounds of mixed martial arts. But if you are an expert, you have the ability to write down a 10 and a 9 next to fighters' names over the course of 15 minutes and three five-minute rounds or, or boxing um, and 12-minute rounds or, or 12 uh, three-minute rounds. Uh, I, I don't know why you should be allowed to not explain yourself because, I mean, heck, if I screwed up, I would like to explain myself on why I screwed up because there are definitely times where, I tune, uh, where, I, where I've turned in a, a scorecard, a virtual scorecard to SureDog.com and, and go, oh, man, I think I might have screwed that up, but I would love to explain why I think I may have screwed that up. Like, uh, I can't go back and, and change my scorecard because we're, you know, we're honest about what we do. Uh, but I've definitely came to a 29-28 where I'm like, son of a bitch, everyone's going to think that I'm uh, a bad judge here, but uh, I'll explain why if given the opportunity. And uh, if you are confident in your ability to execute a task, you should also be confident in your ability to explain your actions, and anything less is uh, cowardice in my opinion. Perfectly said. If if you are on that stage and she had the access to to view that fight that closely and to to get a view of that fight that nobody else had, mm-hmm. she should have to explain herself. And not to jump around too much here, but I have to make a, a quick point on something you said about pride, uh, pride judging and, and fighters not fighting until the last three minutes. The equalizer there for pride was they had the yellow card. Right. So if you weren't if you weren't fighting right, literally that yellow card meant ten percent of your purse. Yeah. I <laughs> just imagine here in the United States if Herb Dean had the power to 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 reach in his back pocket and and take ten percent from from Antonio McKee or whomever. Oh my god. Um, it, yeah, uh, for for me, that's perfect. Like I, I love the pride rules, the pride judging, mm-hmm. and the fact that they can bust out the yellow card. Yeah, like oh my gosh. Yeah, bring no, that. That that's huge. That that is huge. I mean, when you mess with someone's pay, uh, mm-hmm. their demeanor is going to change instantly. Um, because especially in in combat sports and in mixed martial arts side, like if you talk to a fighter, they expect to get every dollar afforded to them with their win and show money. And I would say twenty five percent of them also think they're going to end up with a bonus. So you start taking away money. Could you imagine if a yellow card limited your ability to get a bonus? Oh, my God. We'd never hand those things out ever. And what if they were unlimited and literally oh. you could get up to 100% of your purse taken? Well, I mean, that's what up goes. To- that's what's really interesting about Eddie Bravo's tournament is you can win the tournament, but if you don't get a submission, you don't get any money. And we had a, a case of that in the last uh, EBI that uh, the – uh, Gabby McComb, I believe her name was, uh, was in the final. And had she won the tournament in overtime, she would have got the belt and got the accolades, but she would have received no prize money because she didn't win a single match in regulation via submission. And uh, it, it's the first time that has ever happened, I believe, at EBI. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is prize fighting. And if you get to the end of the fight and there are no prizes, you done screwed up. And I don't think many fighters are going to put themselves in that position if if they can say anything about it. Oh, t- totally. And let me just uh, bring one more thing into play here. Um, what if there was ever a structure like the Abu Dhabi rules? Do you remember there was like there was a time period at the beginning of the fight where no points were scored at all? Mm-hmm. So it's like for the first five minutes, we're not going to score at all. No, no points will be tallied. Right. We're not going to use the judges for the first round. Yeah. Try to fight for a finish, and then we'll bring judges in after five minutes. Right, and it's terrible because the first five minutes is freaking awesome, and then after that, it's <laughs> it's, uh, it's a it's almost like two lawyers going back and forth. You know, because like I'm sorry, like points, 
when it comes to grappling, and yeah, I know I'm I'm the play-by-play commentator of the the largest tournament in the submission-only movement, so I have some bias here. But as a fan, I mean, I loved Abu Dhabi back in the day. Like, I absolutely adored it. I bought all the the DVDs that Jeff sold in the store, um, and then they were subsequently given to me as payment for doing this radio show. Like, I enjoyed those. I paid attention to those. But with that said, when you are fighting, quote-unquote, and what you're doing is making sure that you don't give up an advantage point, therefore you don't try to go for a submission on the bottom because you could get your guard pass, you're no longer fighting. You're making an argument. And if you're making an argument during combat— it's not really combat. It's jockeying for position. It's it's lawyering in a way. And I, I just, I don't, I have no time for that. I have no interest in you being so strategic that the winner of this fight is going to be the one that ends up getting too aggressive. Lawyering as a verb. You, you sir, are a trendsetter. I'm going to use that. I'm, that's right up there with uh, turding. Is it not a verb? I think I've heard lawyering before, or at least I've said it to myself a million times. It's got to be a verb. It is now. Can we get that added? Either, either way, I love it. Yeah. I was, it was totally complimentary. Thank you. I don't know if it's condescending or not, but I'm, I'm too dumb to realize if it was. So uh, let's, uh, let's trudge on. Um, Word. Looking at Mayweather-McGregor, it was all the buzz. Uh, Bob Arum called it the circus. Was this truly boxing's biggest fight uh, of the year, Canelo and uh, Triple G? Ooh, um, in star power, yeah. The Lomachenko Rigandal fight coming up uh, may be the one for the uh, the really hardcore, sophisticated boxing fans. But uh, as far as star star power goes, easily, easily. Uh, Lomachenko, he's the kid from the Ukraine, correct? See, I think so. Um, I saw him. Yes. On the, I saw him in the Manny Pacquiao card in uh, in Macau and. Uh, of all the boxing that I've seen, which is not much, but uh, the boxing that I've seen since Sherdog has covered it, he has been probably my favorite boxer to watch. He's extremely slick. Um, he's a slow starter, which a, a lot of guys that have this style are. Um, I'm going to tell you, there's a, there's another guy that a lot of people are going to say, oh, he sucks and he's boring and he doesn't take any chances. But Arislandy Lara, if you've had a chance to watch him, mm-hmm. um, a lot like him, uh, extremely technical, um, doesn't do, doesn't make a mistake for anything. And unfortunately, sometimes that leads to, uh, uh, we hate to bring the name back up, but uh, Antonio McKee type mm. performance. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, it, an extremely slick boxer. Lomachenko warms up. He starts slow. He warms up. It gets to a point where he's almost taunting his opponent respectfully. Mm. Where he's like, okay, that was that was an eight. Now you're about to fill a nine, and now you felt a nine. Here's a nine and a half. Here's a ten. Your ass is done this round, and he delivers. And there's a buildup that that that, that makes it peak at that exact moment. And uh, he's amazing. And I feel the same way about Rigandau. And also, uh, uh, Laura is somebody that everybody needs to watch too. Yeah, I uh, I like the boxing analysis uh, from yourself and Gary Randall. And I think uh, as long as these pay per views are you know, something that people are interested in, which it's so hit or miss. Like every once in a while, I hear, oh, this is boxing's blast fight. No one's going to care after this. <laughs> it's like, Knock it off. You all, they, I hear that at least twice a year and it's like boxing's fine. Um, I like to do Dude, more. I like if to do people more are still kickboxing. If people are still kickboxing after Bob Sapp beat Ernesto who's twice. Right. Boxing is fine. Yes. Trust me. I, Trust me. I, I agree. So, uh, we'll do more beats and after the bells and uh, maybe even some more special report type of uh, 
show. Science of Violence always uh, in the mix. Hopefully we can get uh, that going uh, more on the Sure Dog Radio Network. Um, so it's a draw. I asked Gary Randall this last question before we move on to the UFC in Pittsburgh. Um, obviously both guys get their hand raised, but in every fight there's, uh, you know, the winner on paper, but there's also that fighter that can raise their stock. And sometimes it even happens in defeat with both of these guys getting their hands raised. Uh, who do you feel walks away better for it? Who's, whose stock is worth more money than it was coming into the fight, uh, on this Monday as we chat. Mm, that's a that's a multi-layered question because if you throw in the caveat at the very end that you mentioned of walking away tonight, I feel like it was Golovkin because most people felt Golovkin won that fight. I feel that in the end, it's going to be advantageous towards Canelo, um, kind of in a it, almost in a Mayweather Canelo, uh, almost in reverse, where mm-hmm. I felt like I felt like Floyd Mayweather fought Canelo at the perfect time before he really peaked as a fighter. And he got that win on his resume. He can always, you know, in years from now, when you talk about how good Floyd Mayweather was, you're going to say, well, he beat Canelo. He beat, you know, all the names he did. And it seems like he fought all those people at the perfect time. And it seems like this was the perfect storm for Golden Boy Promotions and Oscar because you are facing a 35-year-old fighter who is on the decline. Um, I want to steal Teddy Atlas's take there. That was something he said all last week that Golovkin was on his way down, uh, did not look great against Daniel Jacobs. And actually, you can say the same for the Kell Brook fight too. Even though he did break Kell Brook's face, there were moments in that fight when uh, Kell Brook looked to be the sharper fighter. In my opinion – I think that this is all going to benefit Canelo and Oscar and Golden Boy down the line because this obviously, with it being a draw, it sets up a huge money rematch. And even if you can if you can push this thing off nine months, a year, you're talking about Golovkin being a 36-year-old. You're talking about Canelo putting on a little more weight, uh, working on that counterpunching. That counterpunching seemed to work a little bit earlier in that fight until Golovkin got a hold of it. I think that even though in my mind Golovkin won this fight handedly, I think that Canelo wins the rematch. And this, the entire body of work that we've witnessed, it took three years to put this fight on. We've got a terrible judging situation during the actual fight that made it a draw. And then in the end, it's going to be Canelo one, Golovkin zero, one draw piece. And history is going to be kinder to Canelo than GGG in the end. Wow, that was a much more in-depth uh, answer than I was expecting. But it uh, sounds like maybe I should just wait for uh, the rematch, right? Uh, the rematch is going to be hype, and I don't know how you felt about that fight. Um, a lot of MMA people were obviously uh, uh, pirating and had their Cody and their laptops up and stuff, and they had the opportunity to watch Gregor Gillespie and Jason Gonzalez fight at the same time as oh, Golovkin wow. and Canelo. Yeah. And, uh, you know, th- there's no way that you watch those two fights and you are more entertained by Canelo than than you were by the the two gentlemen fighting in an octagon. So, yeah, I'll just leave that one there. There you go. All right, let's uh, switch our attention to Pittsburgh. Luke Rockhold victorious over David Branch. Uh, gets a tap out due to strikes. Uh, Rockhold looked very confident walking away from the prone David Branch and looked like he was back. Prior to that, looked like he was getting his ass kicked in the first round. Uh, David Branch had Luke Rockhold in all sorts of trouble, landed like a five or six punch combination at one point in the first round. I thought Luke Rockhold uh, was going to get upset by David Branch, and and we were going to start talking about how the new Luke Rockhold is too cocky and and overconfident and can't hang with today's 
UFC middleweight division. Uh, that wasn't the case. When he got on the back of David Branch and hipped into him and flattened him out, David Branch is not a slouch on the floor. To be just completely dominated when Luke Rockhold got in a, a, a more superior position says a lot about where Luke Rockhold is at. We talked about stock a moment ago. Uh, it's a big win for Luke Rockhold. He didn't look great in the first round, but it answered a lot of questions, I think, about his chin. After getting you know knocked out by uh, Michael Bisping and stopped, I mean, Bisping has never uh, displayed the sort of power that he did in the Rockhold fight at any point in his career leading up to it. So for Luke to maybe not look all that great uh, leading up to his victory, uh, I think he did answer some questions uh, about being able to take some punishment and weather that storm. And uh, while maybe in the overall performance, we're not handing out perfect tens for Luke Rockhold, uh, I think he got a, a much-needed win and uh, did so in a fashion that, uh, while it wasn't pretty, uh, did answer a lot of questions about his uh, contendership and his ability uh, to take some damage inside the octagon. Yeah, and my thing with Luke is a confidence thing. And he really needs to tone the confidence down. Yeah. Because just like you said with Bisbing, um, Bisbing does not have power. And Rockhold was fighting with his hands down, um, basically running right into him. And I felt that this, he's so lucky to survive that first round against Branch because it was so much more untechnical. I mean, literally, he had his back to his cage, his chest was facing his opponent, his hands were down, his chin was high, and he ate five piece in a biscuit and took it. And most other fighters, he would have been sleeping. And that's a confidence thing that he had absolutely no respect for David Branch's stand-up. And it almost cost him. But let me say something about this second round. And I want to I choose my words extremely carefully here and just get out right from the beginning that I'm not, uh, I'm not glorifying uh, uh, violence on a woman during sex or anything like that. So let me just – let me get that out right now. But when I watched Luke Rockhold finish David Branch, it was almost like – and I'm going to treat our audience here like they're all adults and, and they've watched uh, – at some point in their life, they've watched porn. Literally, Luke Rockhold, his performance at the end of the second round, it reminded me of a skilled lover that, hmm. uh, managing his his partner's arousal level. Um, maybe, you can, maybe you can fit onto that. Maybe you can't. Go back and watch the fight and listen to what I'm saying. The way that he – his position was tight. He took his time. And he had a rhythm to everything he did. Um, maybe there's some guys right now not knowing what I'm talking about. Maybe there's some women uh, out there that are, uh, are what I'm saying. But there was something sensual and sexual about the way that Luke Rockhold took out David Branch. And it was one of the worst beatdowns I have ever seen. Because David Branch is not a pushover. Um, this is a guy that's resurrected his career outside the UFC. Uh, multiple division champion for World Series of Fighting, now Pro Fight League. And to get him out of there like that... And I'm not just talking about his accolades. This is this is a Henzo Gracie protege that has been with Henzo forever. For Luke Rockwell to take him out like that from the back is just ridiculous. And basically everybody that Rockhold has went to the floor with in the last four or five years, the fight has unfolded just like that. Um, I think that we are literally looking at one of the most underrated ground games in all of mixed martial arts. What was most impressive for me, Mike, in how Luke Rockhold controlled David Branch was the ability to flatten him out without even using his hands. When he got his hooks in and he wanted David Branch to be flat, he literally 
thrusted his hips in, and now we've really crossed that line about it being sensual. <laughs> but he did. He, he thrusted his hips forward, and that flattened out David Branch. David Branch, as you said, is no pushover on the floor. He's a Henzo Gracie black belt. He's a man who has made his living uh, out grappling other people. And for him to be controlled like that by Luke Rockhold, wow. That is, that is saying something. Um, but but I didn't like the, the post-fight uh, look on Rockhold's face. Uh, I, I unfortunately think that Rockhold, um, I mean, I've met Luke a few times. He's always been very nice to me. Um, but he, he's a guy that, whether it's intentional or unintentional, he comes off as just very, very smug and very arrogant. And when he lost to Michael Bisping in the fashion that he did, it was magnified tenfold. Um, that that might be part of what makes Luke Rockhold so great. I, I don't know uh, if there's anybody that believes in themselves more than Luke, but at the same time, he comes off very dismissive of the sport a lot. And, and I think we're at a point in mixed martial arts where if you're not involved in this sport 100%, if you're not passionate about it, you really don't belong. And Luke Rockhold, five, six months ago, was on the Anakin Florian podcast saying, the UFC's got to make it worth my while to to have me come back. And it's like, you just got knocked out by Michael Bisping. Like, you should be the one that is trying to get back. You should be the one that is begging the UFC to be put in some sort of contenders matchup to get you right back in the mix to, to try to, you know, recapture your middleweight championship. But... It was completely different. Luke was like, you know, I'm I'm happy doing what I'm doing over here. If it makes sense, I'll come back. But if not, no sweat off my back. That's not what you want to hear from a fighter who needs to give every fiber of his being to making sure that he's the baddest man on the planet at 185 pounds. So the jury for me on Luke Rockhold and where his future lies in the UFC, I mean, it's out. I don't know what we're going to see Luke Rockhold do at 185, but clearly he has the ability to beat anybody on any given night. Yeah, for, for me, um, he fights like that. I got him against any 185-pounder in the world. Um, unfortunately, this the conversation turns to his post-fight comments where he talked about fighting at heavyweight. Um, I do not like his frame at 205. He's a 185-pound fighter, and he needs to stay right there, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not, uh, not opposed uh, with that thought process at all, so... Uh, what else you want to hit on? I mean, the floor is kind of yours because you and I haven't been together in so long. I kind of want to give you the opportunity to uh, speak your mind. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's go into some staples here and maybe a new one that I'll bust out here for you, and we'll play right off a uh, rock hold here. Uh, let's go a little old square cell. Um, you're familiar with this, I'm, I'm sure, and so are our listeners. Yeah, I used to do this with, uh, you know what, actually, I don't even know if it's branded as another podcast that I did, but I'm, I may have a drop for you for buy or sell. You got to give me a minute. All right. Uh, explain, explain to the people what buy or sell means. I'm going to make a statement or pose a question, and you are, you are either going to buy it or you're going to sell it. Buying it means you believe it, you're you support it. If you're selling, you don't want nothing with it. So here we go. Hang on, wait. TJ, I, I got the I got the drop. I want to play it. It may say Avenue 56 with Lamar Woodley, but who knows? It's time for buy or sell. Yes. Now buy sell. Want to buy it? Oh, no, I don't want to buy it. It's Buy or Sell with Lamar Woodley. You don't buy anything, you hear me? Don't buy anything. The Avenue 56 Podcast. 
See, Lamar Woodley was a former Steeler, and uh, we're coming off a of UFC in Pittsburgh, so why not? He's also a, a former Michigan Wolverine, oh. which I, I think he did that to me on purpose. I may or may not have, but either way, it's a nice byproduct. There you go. Okay, TJ. Luke Rockhold will reclaim the middleweight belt in 2018. You buying or selling? <sighs> to me, if he's going to reclaim that title, it's going to have to happen in 2018. Um, I will hesitantly buy it. I'm, I'm buying all in. Um, that performance in the second round was one of the most ridiculous, uh, maybe even the most ridiculous grappling uh, display that I, I have seen in years. I, I mean, maybe maybe not if you're putting up against some of the things that Demi and Maya has done, but that was, that was eye-opening for me personally. Let me explain why I hesitantly buy it. Uh, I think that Michael Bisping can fight George St. Pierre, and it's going to be the last fight of Michael Bisping's career. Uh, at least it should be. Um, he's alluded to that. I, if, if, if GSP wins, I don't think he'll, uh, retain that title. I think he'll move down to 170 or he'll just walk away, uh, from the sport or he'll search out some sort of super fight, um, that we're not thinking about as of right now. But, uh, with that said, if the title is vacated, uh, I think that there's going to be some sort of mini tournament. I think Rockhold will have to have one or two more fights to get to a title fight. And if that's the case, I don't know if it happens within the calendar year of 2018. But we'll find out. That, that, that is fair enough and a, a point well taken. Uh, buy or sell, TJ. Judge Adelaide Bird was bought off by someone. Sell. I'm selling, too. That was just uh, that was complete uh, just incompetence, and it needs to be addressed. Um, I did read a story today, I believe it was on Deadspin, that Adelaide Bird is still going to butcher uh, judging calls, but it's going to be on uh, fights that are much less prolific. Uh, I'm not sure what their source is for that, but there's already reports out there that uh, she has been downgraded. Uh, TJ, Saturday's Bellator 183 has a better main card than Friday's UFC Fight Night Japan. You buying or selling? I got a And if you need a, a little heads up on, yeah, let, let me announce it to you then. Yeah, uh, UFC main card, Ovin St. Pru versus Yushino Kami. Yes, that Yushin Okami. Right. Claudia Gadelia against Jessica Andrade. Takanori Gomi versus Dong Young Kim. Um, this is the other Dong Young Kim, not the ice pick. Uh, Gokan Saki versus Henrique De Silva. And yeah, we'll leave the main card there. Uh, Charles Rosa is also on this prelim card against uh, Mizuto Hirota. But uh, that's pretty much what the UFC lineup is. Bellator 183 main card. Uh, we will not insult our listeners by listing anything from the Bellator undercard, which all of them are garbage. Main card, Benson Henderson against Patricky Freire, uh, Paul Daly against Lorenz Larkin, Roy Nelson against Javi Ayala, and Aaron Pico returning to face Justin Lin. What do you got, Bellator or UFC as a stronger main card? If I had to buy one of these fight cards, I'd buy the Bellator card, but it's free on Spike TV. So, uh, yeah, Bellator's got two or three fights I'm interested in where the UFC, for the most part, of the fights that you listed on their main card uh, I'm primarily only interested in that uh, co-main event between Gadelia and uh, Andrade. Uh, fully agree. And uh, I, I really love the Benson Henderson, Patricky Pitbull fight. Anytime you get to see somebody like Paul Daly and Lorenz Larkin lock horns, it's amazing. And uh, let me tell you something. I had zero interest in Roy Nelson fighting anybody in the UFC. He's going to lock up with Javi Ayala. I mm. like that fight. Yeah. Coming off the Sergey Hartana fight. I like it. I don't, I just do. And, I don't know why, TJ, but I'm still fascinated with Aaron Pico 
for him to, to get back on the horse so soon and uh, return to a Bellator main card, I'm thrilled with this. This is a good card that everybody should be aware of. Yeah, so, no. Moving I, on. Just real quick, on the uh, on the Javi Ayala uh, tip, yeah. I mean, he's an interesting fighter. He's got some heavy, heavy hands. Uh, Roy Nelson, while I don't think Roy is is really a relevant heavyweight at this point, ever going to you know be vying for a top five spot anytime soon, uh, he's still fun to watch. He's still a fun personality and a fun fighter uh, more often than not. So that's that's a great fight. Um, uh, the Pitbull and, and Benson Henderson fight, like sign me up. Like I'm, I'm, I'm all about that. That's going to be, that's going to be some, some fun stuff, I believe. And then, uh, Aaron Pico, I'm not mad at you for still being interested in Aaron Pico. I mean, the dude is a supreme athlete who was a standout wrestler. And I, I think that, um, the wheels really, really, really need to fall off before my interest is going to be completely, uh, done with Mr. Pico. Yeah. And it's so out of character for Bellator to match like they did, putting him against a, a strong fighter in his, in his in his debut. And again, he's fighting somebody with 10 mixed martial arts fights in this event. Why isn't Aaron Pico fighting somebody like, uh, I'm not saying like this, but why aren't they managing his career like they're managing Venom Page? That's a great or question. Or an Ed Ruth. That's a great question. Why, why is... Why is Aaron Pico into the fire when Bellator does that to nobody? Yeah. They don't, they don't, they don't build stars like that. That's weird. Yeah. I don't get I, it. I don't know. Okay. You should Okami is an acceptable replacement for Shogun. Who are you buying or selling? It depends. Like to answer that question, I need to know what the other options were because I can't imagine that you should Okami coming back was the first option. I, I just can't. I mean, I, I guess maybe it helps tickets. Because it's in Japan. Yeah, it, but, it, is, it is a Japan card. Now. Yeah, but at the same time, like I don't think the UFC cares too much about that. Like this is still a a company that doesn't necessarily worry about date, you know. But um, this isn't a pay per view, so maybe that was a consideration. Uh, can I put it on layaway? I, I'd like I'd like to know yeah. more. I'd like to know more you before I. Yeah, I'd like to put like a dollar down. Yeah, a dollar down, and then come put back here in a couple it. weeks. Come on. That's a Cedric re- reference. I'll put something on it. Yeah. Put something on it. I mean, $2 right, down. Last $2 one. down. There you go. Put something on it. Gokan Saki has the stand-up chops to compete in the UFC. You buying it, Alan? Selling. I'm selling, too. Like, I, I don't buy any of this kickboxing stuff. No. Um, we've, we've talked about it before. When, when it was K1 versus Pride and the Pride fighters annihilated them. Yeah. I'm not feeling it. I'm seeing MMA fighters, subpar MMA fighters, go, going into glory, going into lion fight and doing big things. Don't be surprised if Saki gets knocked out standing in this fight and beyond. Do not be surprised. It, it, it just seems to happen. Kickboxing is uh, something that does not translate over, in my opinion. Man, I didn't buy too many things here. I still got some money left over. You you manage your funds well, yeah. Mr. DeSantis. Yeah, all, right. all right, let's get to some birthdays here. September 17th, that's yesterday, Scott Jorgensen. How old do you think Scott Jorgensen is? I'm going to say he's younger than a lot of people think. I'm going to say he's 34 years old. Ooh, always that one-year threshold for you with birthdays. He's 35. Okay. You, you, got, you, got, a Scott, you got a Scott Jorgensen moment for us? A positive uh, moment? You've been uh, dropping shitty ones lately. Like I, I give it, you're like, see. oh, that time he got knocked out by. <laughs> let's 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 tap these guys up a little bit for their birthday. You have a positive Scott Jorgensen moment for me. I I tend not to remember the positive moments. I remember the infamous moments, and uh, I'm not going to share this story. I'll share the story off the air with you because I think it's just mean. 
But uh, I mean, Scott Jorgensen, uh, he, uh, uh, you know what? I do have it. Uh, when he ten finger guillotined uh, Chad George in the WEC, it was ridiculous. It was awesome, Ooh. and uh, yeah, uh, it was awesome. That's that's my Scott Jorgensen moment. Yeah, Chad George, one of the more cerebral fighters I've I've ever met, and quite an artist. Uh, I I always want to butcher this name, and everybody that listens to this show knows that I am worst at butchering names. I, every time I see this, it doesn't matter if I see it or if I'm just talking about the sport with someone, and the name comes up. I want to call him Denis Kang because his name is spelled Denis. Right. Like yes, French. I understand. It's 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 Dennis Kang. I want to call him Denis Kang for some reason. How old do you think he is? Thirty-seven. 40 hitting the big 40 wow. on September 17th. Uh, I'll waste the moment for this one. Uh, definitely uh, knocking out Ninja Hua oh, in yeah. 15 seconds at uh, Pride Bushido. Uh, I don't remember exactly which number that is. Uh, moving on, uh, September 18th, Mike Pyle. Ooh. How do you think he is? 37. This one could go either way. 37. 42. 42. 42. Wow. 42. Huh. And uh, a very. Very quick story here. I saw him absolutely spark uh, Gustavo Machado at Gracie Fighting Championships, Gracie uh, Team Gracie versus Team Hammerhouse, uh, literally right in front of my face, just demolished him. Uh, big, uh, big knockdown. Uh, this was a, an event that was held with ropes instead of a cage. And literally that happened right in front of my face. And it was one of the one of the highlights of my uh, my uh, MMA covering career. Uh Let's go to uh, September 20th. Uh, one of us, uh, actually, are, is, that's, that's one of our birthdays. I'll, I'll let our, our listeners figure that one out. Um, Sarah Kaufman, how old do you think she is? Uh, I'm going to say Sarah Kaufman is 34 years old. She is 32. And I'm sure that there's there's going to be some people that uh, have their different moments for her. Um, for me, no doubt. When she slammed Roxanne. Yeah, that's the one. That That's the one. For me, that that is by far the one. Um yeah, and if I failed to mention before, one of us turned uh, 39 on the 20th as well. Um, September 21st, Josh Thompson. How old do you think he is? Uh, I'm going to say he's 38. One-year threshold, as always. Uh, that means he's 39. I'm not, but for the record, the one-year threshold means I'm in within two years, meaning that if we're at the carnival, I'm not giving out stuff to animals. You get the prize. Yeah, I'm winning. Yeah. Exactly. That's why I'm complimenting the one-year threshold. You're always so close. It's really a four-year uh, threshold, by the way, because you have to be within two years, and uh, it's two years yeah. either way. So. Oh, there you go. There you go. Okay, uh, for me, it's it's knocking out Nate Diaz. I mean, he's done a lot of things in his career, but for me, that's uh, that's clearly the, the career-defining moment for him. Yeah. You got something else for I mean, else? the only other thing that really sticks out uh, for me would I, – I mean – the the fights with Gilbert Melendez, the one that he won where no one really gave him a chance, that was a really big deal. Um, I thought that he uh, beat Benson Henderson uh, when he fought. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, I mean, the other one that just sticks out, and he probably wished we wouldn't bring it up or remember it, was uh, getting knocked out by <laughs> Eve Edwards. And uh, just, sure. just such a, a, a crazy moment and, and, a, and a sad moment in a lot of ways because Eve Edwards showed that he was the clear top dog at 155 in the UFC at the time, and the UFC had no interest in promoting that division, and that is why Eve Edwards is not a UFC lightweight champion. There you go. September 22nd, Bob the Beast Sap. How old do you think he is, TJ? In fight years or in human years? 
that's I'm almost seeing them as the same because how many how many miles are you really putting on if you're going out there getting hit by a jab and then falling and getting paid 50k for it? Yeah, but go back to the Mirko fight where he got his orbital cracked in half. Um, hasn't been the same since. No, uh, I will say that Bob Sapp is 43 years old. One year. He's 44. And I have to say, I'm not sure that I have seen a fighter explode on the MMA scene, um, except for like a, a BJ Penn or a Vitor, uh, like Bob Sapp did. His two pride fights against Kiyoshi Tamura and Yoshihisa Yamamoto were two of the most brutal fights that uh, you're going to see, especially the Tamura fight. Talk about a 350-pound man uh, mm. fighting a middleweight, essentially. Uh, knocking him out in 11 seconds. And the, the punches that he hit Tamura with on the ground are probably the hardest ground punches I have ever seen. Ever, like, ever. Yeah. And the body the body work that he put in on, uh, on Yamamoto while standing, and just the way that he was uh, the fighting with poise and composure, like a real Matt Hume student at the time. I literally felt after watching that Tamura fight that there was nobody in the world that could upset in a mixed martial well, arts fight. Let's not forget. He, his, let's not forget he piled drove Minotaur Noguera. Like, yeah, he lost that, that fight. But that was, was his third fight. My God, that was his third fight. That no, was his third fight. Noguera's top. After watching that, yeah, go ahead. I was just saying, after watching that fight, my opinion did not change. I felt at that time that Bob Sapp would be an indestructible force in MMA. And then guess what? He ran into well. First, first then he went to K1 yeah. and he beat Ernesto twice, and then he fought Mirko Krokop. As you said, got his orbital broke. Bob Sapp was never the same after that. No, ever. no. You remember the chemo fight in K1? I think it was in Vegas where yep. Bob Sapp basically knocked out, but they gave him like 35 mm-hmm. years to get and then ready. Challenge Tyson. Oh, and then God. challenge Mike Tyson. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Man, it was just, terrible, dude. Uh, uh, Bob Sapp. Just, I, I remember him getting his doors blown off of him in Biloxi, Mississippi. One day, Mandel and I went down there for uh, the chaos. John Norche? Yeah, no, he fought. Uh, who did he fight? Um, uh, Bobby Lashley, and uh, so bad, just not good. Yeah, he got taken behind the woodshed. John Norche too. I think that was uh, uh, one of the one of the I want to say one of the last Strike Force cards, but uh, uh, definitely a, a fight we covered at some point. Uh, last one here for you, Takanori Gomi. Who is fighting this weekend in Japan? How would you think he is? Mm, Thirty-eight. One year, he's thirty-nine. Uh, what, what's your Gomi moment? There are so many. Just the the absolute uh, rough shot he ran in Pride in uh, the Bushido series. Um, I mean, who who's the Gracie that he beat? He put the lights out just badly. Can't remember. Um, How? Gracie. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Gomi, Gomi's whole look, the attitude around him coming up through Shudo and then and then just lording over the the division. Um the the fight with Jens Pulver, I really enjoyed. Um yeah, man, I was I was a huge Gomi fan at, at the the height of, of Takanori Gomi. Okay, my my moment is really just a, a compilation of footage. Um, I'm not sure that this uh, tape ever made the internet, or if it's on YouTube, it might be. I didn't bother looking. It's just something that I remember. And it's actually something I still own. I have it on VHS, and it is a compilation tape called Combat Wrestling. And basically, there's like a three-minute video on there of Takanori Gomi uh, very early in his shooto days and before, 
competing in this combat wrestling stuff and him literally just folding people in half. And you don't think uh, of Gomi as a great grappler. That shirt, that certainly wasn't his style in MMA, mm-hmm. but if you watch him compete on this one, you would swear that he was like a multi-time Abu Dhabi champion. Can I share you the one sort of uh, bum out story about Takanori Gomi? Please do. I can't remember what fight it was, but he, uh, he had a fight in the UFC where it was just really bad. He got knocked out. He got busted up. It was unfortunate. And, uh, I was on the same plane as him heading to Minneapolis because a lot of the flights uh, that Delta does uh, to Japan go through Minneapolis. And uh, because I was flying a lot for Sherdog, I got to sit up in front row while the legend that is Gomi had to go sit back in coach class with blood leaking out of his nose. I really almost wanted to stand and be like, nah, man, like, this is you. Thanks for everything that you do. This is your seat. You can have breakfast. Yeah, that, that's a, that's quite a, an antidote right there. And uh, it, it's weird how that works, isn't it? I remember uh, people people tweeted uh, Sherdog with pictures of uh, Steph Struve uh, immediately following the Mark Holm fight. Yeah. Mark Holm, Mark Hunt. Yeah, Mark yeah Hunt, I know who sorry. you're talking about. And when, when he stepped on the plane, he was in pretty bad shape too. And uh, it's so weird that there were multiple people on that flight that snapped pictures of it and tweeted us to us. It's like we had the, the left aisle seat and the right aisle seat of him coming down, yeah. holding his face. Yeah, I was, was uh, uh, I was on a flight with him after his fight with Travis Brown, and uh, it was sort of the same thing. It's like you got folded in half on television last oh. night. Ugh. And just sitting in a plane. You are still. Oh, sorry, just sitting in a leaking. Uh, man, we're trying to get through Skype here. Uh, just sitting through a, a, a flight for Stefan Struve in coach is has got to be torturous. Yeah. No. I can you imagine being that tall and having to sit in a middle seat? No. I mean, I can't imagine being that tall and sitting in a plane seat, period. I don't care if it's the aisle. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, that's, uh, flights. Air air travel is so cruel to the people that have to sit in the back like cattle. Absolutely. Uh, let's close, TJ, with a little Ohio or Minnesota. You down? Uh, I'm going to win, but yes, I'm down. A man has been charged for chasing his six-year-old daughter around a neighborhood while wearing a clown mask. And another man is charged with firing a gun. Police say the girl first jumped into a stranger's car and then ran into a stranger's apartment while screaming that a clown was chasing her. Police say a man in the apartment building came outside and fired a gunshot into the ground. The father told police he chased his daughter to discipline her for behavioral issues instead of spanking her. He's been charged with child endangering and inducing panic. Police say the man who fired the gunshot has been charged with using weapons while intoxicated. Oh, God. There's a lot to wrap your mind around in that story in only three paragraphs. But where did it happen? Did it happen in Ohio or did it happen in Minnesota? It's so bad because I could see it happening in both states. Both uh, both states have a fairly uh, reasonable process to go through to get a uh, conceal and carry uh, permit. Um, it's such a passive aggressive thing to do to your kid, which Minnesota is known for. Um, just, you know, not wanting to be a complete a-hole, but like doing something seemingly somewhat banal, but also having it go over the edge. Like it it seems to me that a a father could say, oh, I'm just going to put this clown mask on and chase him a little bit. It's not going to be a big deal. And and I'm going to prove a point. It it, it ends with gunshots. I know. I know because uh, someone was hitting the hooch. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to say Ohio because I think I would have heard of something about this so ridiculous from friends or family by now. So I'm going to say the Buckeye State. Okay. So if I told you that it just happened last night, would you change your, uh, would you change your, your thing? 
Because this Yee. did just happen last night. Man. Uh, are, are you changing it? Or are you sticking with me? Are you sticking? I'm going to go with my well-educated and somewhat bulbous gut and say Ohio. Uh, I'll never change your answer. Ooh, I tried to get you, but uh, yes! you held firm and you got it. Yes! This happened in Youngstown, Ohio last night. Uh, this came from a uh, 10TV WBNS report that my wife forwarded me this morning. And she said, this has to be Ohio, Minnesota. And I said, you are so right. Is she a fan uh, Youngstown, of the, by the way, She is. She, she is. Does she actually uh, listen? You know what? I, I said forever that there's no way that she did. And she totally was listening and not, not informing me about it. So oh, man. she absolutely she listens to the show, so I got to watch what I say. Absolutely. Sure. That's I'm, terrifying. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that I'm going to get a weird look when it comes to the, the Luke Rockhold's cover <laughs> reference when she hears that tomorrow. Anyways, uh, Youngstown is the hometown of Maurice Claret, uh, Jim Tressel, Ray Boom Boom Mancini, and many others. So that is your Ohio geography lesson. That is Ohio or Minnesota, and that is beat down. Take it away, sir. Uh, yeah, uh, that is B-Town on the Sure Dog Radio Network. I believe Youngstown, Ohio was also home to a WEC that never happened. Because um, I think I was going to go to it, but I had to fly into Pittsburgh and then drive to Youngstown. And I had no idea of where Youngstown, Ohio was. I still don't really. Let's right cross the river from Pittsburgh. All right. Well, that makes sense then. Uh, all right. Uh, what's coming up here? The Jordan Breen Show returns to the Sure Dog Radio Network. That'll be tomorrow as you hear this Wednesday. Uh, live radio starts at 11 a.m. Pacific time. That is 2 in the East. Uh, I'll be back on Friday for another edition of Beatdown. Uh, maybe Mike Fridley will be there. I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm not used to having you back, Fridley. It's kind of exciting. Is this a Friday? Is this a, a Beatdown After the Bell? What is this? What is this? Friday Beatdown. Regular Beatdown. Regular Beatdown. Uh, yeah, I, I'm here and I'm going to hip our listeners to something that we can't talk about on this radio program. If you check our Twitters tomorrow, uh, you will you will likely see a URL for a podcast that is not MMA related that uh, TJ, Garrett, and myself are doing tonight. So please be on the lookout for that. Oh, yeah. I mean, we can. I mean, if anyone gets mad at me for saying what it is, I don't. I'm, that's ridiculous. Uh, we're doing a podcast about being a dad. It's called Dad Pod, and uh, we'll, we'll release it. And uh, it'll be fun because, uh, I mean... We're three different human beings with three different upbringings, and we're spread out in age, and uh, I think our philosophies are different, but it'll be fun. I'm excited for it. As always, follow us on Twitter. And at I'm going to drink. Oh, man. How much, though? That's the question. My wife literally is going to make me a maker's mark in water, so look out, world. Is and she- this is something I, I would never, ever, ever in a million years mix my career with alcohol, so you can be sure that... This is something you will never hear on a Sure Dog Radio Network broadcast. There you go. I, I will be intoxicated. There you go. Uh, hide the clown mask, all right? I'll do my best. I will not hide the gun, though. Perfect. There you go, because that's important. Uh, if you missed any part of this broadcast, wait, we're not live, so you didn't uh, just hit rewind, and then you can listen to it again. Uh, in the meantime, at TJ DeSantis, at Mike Fridley on Twitter. You can also email TJ DeSantis at SureDog.com. Uh, Mike at SureDog.com. Again, live radio returns Wednesday with Jordan Breen Show. Press Row on Thursday. Beatdown on Friday. Fun, exciting business. Also, check out my uh, Ultimate Fighter Episode 4 recap, which will be uh, yes. dropping soon. I'm a writer now, apparently. So, uh, get ready. Uh, I put some you words. I, I put words in sentences, and then they become paragraphs, and you can read them. So, uh, that does it. For Mike Fridley, I'm TJ DeSantis. You just got Beat Town on the Sure Dog Radio Network. Beat Down! Beat
Motown is a TJ DeSantis production and is property of the Sure Dog Radio Network. Its content is intended for private use only. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.